the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Tuesday, November 9th, 2021. Hour 3 brings us, as always, at least one Hallman. No less than one Hallman. No less than one Hallman. No less than one That means there's not Hallsman. There's no Hallsman. Today, Hugh Hallman is with us. Uh, Usually, Hugh and Lewis Hallman join us uh, together unless one of them is on the road or buried deep in other Banausic pursuits. Hugh Hallman is with us today. He is an attorney. He is an educator. He is the former mayor of Tempe. And Hugh, welcome back. Thanks for coming in. It is a delight and honor. And I'm delighted to be here if only because the vocal energy you now bring when I'm sitting across from you is significantly higher than the last hour. I was feeling bad that you didn't have quite as much energy in the day. And I'm delighted that we both now share in that well, energy. I have to behave when you come in because I can't end my sentences with prepositions. I have to un- understand the distinction between uh, less and fewer. Genitive yeah. and dative case. Yeah, yeah exactly. 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 Sorry, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, the subjunctive do- mood. <laughs> anyway, as we, as we, before we put you in a subjunctive mood, yes. what ails you today, Hugh? What ails us today is we, we have to stick to our stock and trade. The only reason I got onto your show in the first instance was the fact that I uh, uh, hosted a show here uh, a decade before, and I know something about COVID. And, of course, the irony being that I've been told uh, that the reason I can't appear on NPR is I'm an economist and a data guy, not a physician. And only physicians should be allowed to speak about COVID uh, because uh, they're the only ones who would understand data. Oh, wait a minute. No, that's not quite right. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, here's where we are. It's funny, actually. Uh, we that's ha- very it's funny. Ridic- no, yeah. it's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, tell tell we- them you have a doctorate. Uh, indeed. Uh, and if nothing else, I can actually spell heteroskedasticity yep. both ways. Um, so, here we have the state of Arizona. Uh, in the ICU, uh, we have... 512 COVID cases in all of the state of Arizona ICUs. Now, that's 29% of the non-surge ICU beds. But that tells us that there are 1,122 patients in ICUs who don't have COVID. That's 63% of the population. With We're down to 8%. 8% only open ICU beds. That should be a headline in the Arizona Republic, except that the COVID number is too low for them to make much hash of it. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, keep in mind, when you see these kinds of terrorizing numbers, that we only have 8% of our ICU beds open, and they use it in the context of COVID, all of it is nonsense, because they're not counting surge beds, which we have. And, of course, as you hear from us constantly and continuously, and Lewis and I, uh, we have this continuous refrain, that hospitals are like hotels. You have to have behinds in the beds, or you go out of business. And so the object of a hospital is to have uh, approximately 10 or fewer percent of the beds empty. Otherwise, you're losing money. And maximum money making is right in this sweet spot. That's what they're doing. In addition, keep in mind that we now have the trend, finally admitted by the CDC, that people come to the hospital for reasons other than COVID, get tested, and show up positive for SARS-CoV-2. That doesn't mean they have COVID-19, the disease. That means they tested positive for the virus. 
but they're checkmarked as now a COVID patient for two good reasons. One is you want to separate them from others. You don't spread disease, but also because the hospital gets more money if they're admitting COVID patients. And so every hospital has the incentive to test everyone and make sure they get credit for everybody who tests positive for SARS-CoV-2, whether or not they are symptomatic. Why do I say that the CDC finally admits that that's been going on? Because they wanted to protect their vaccine. The CDC was out promoting the vaccine, and I'm somebody who's been vaccinated. I will be getting my booster shot as soon as I'm legally eligible uh, because I happen to believe that it actually works in my case. But everybody gets to make their choice, and I'll tell you a story in a minute. Uh, so what did the CDC do? Remember, they wanted to make sure you understood that the vaccine was always good and would protect you against the virus. And then we started having breakthrough cases in June, July. Which they started counting. They started counting. They do not now count because they do not want to be reporting that their vaccine is imperfect because the narrative is I want to underscore works. this. You used to be able to go to the CDC and see how many breakthrough hospitalizations and deaths there were. They stopped it cold a week ago. Yes. Stopped it cold. Well, they worse, stopped it. They don't. What Seth just said is they were careful. They only they started collecting all the data but then only reported hospitalizations and deaths because they did not want to report people who had cases like they do for people who are not vaccinated. Oh, my God, we have these cases. They won't tell you how many of those cases now are people who've been vaccinated. Why? Because their narrative is the vaccine is perfect. Of course it isn't. No vaccine is perfect. It can protect you. The data is pretty clear. It does protect you from, number one, likelihood of getting it. But number two, if you do get it, your symptoms tend to be less bad. That is true. We can get into the deeper dive on that stuff if folks uh, want to, to know more or rather want to object to that statement because, gee, aren't there lots of people 85 and over who've been vaccinated who are dying? That's right, because people who are 85 and over are more likely to die from anything, including if they've been vaccinated and they got COVID. So in, in all of this, the point is we don't have to win every point. We have to win the important points. And here now, the CDC is finally saying, or did until a week ago, yes, there are breakthrough cases, but the most important piece was this. They dropped a footnote in their own data saying, these hospitalizations include people who are hospitalized, notwithstanding their COVID, because, for example, they got brought into the hospital from an automobile accident and then tested positive for SARS-CoV-2. They'll admit it when they're dealing with the data on vaccination. They won't admit it when they're dealing with people who have not been vaccinated. They want everybody to get vaccinated, and you're a bad person if you haven't gotten vaccinated, and they'll report cases that haven't been vaccinated, but they will not report cases of people who've been vaccinated and let us understand the rapidity of breakthrough cases, the efficacy of the vaccine, and help collect the data that says the vaccine lasts a certain period of time. We know from Israel, because they were very transparent in their data, that at about six months, the vaccines tend to fall off precipitously, something like 34% efficacy after six months, so that you should get a booster shot. And Israel went into overdrive on boosters. I happen to be at a... uh, senior facility today meeting with lots of folks and they were running a vaccination booster shot program along with their uh, flu shot program and in fact it's the first place i've seen where they're doing both the vaccination uh, booster shot for covid as well as the flu shot at the same time most uh, recently physicians have been saying you should do them separately at least two weeks apart clearly this, these folks have decided baloney we got to get these folks these elderly people vaccinated now While uh, talking with some of these folks, I ran into a woman in her mid-80s. She has not been vaccinated. 
She's not getting a booster shot because she's never even been vaccinated, and she's refusing the vaccine. She said she wants to wait to make sure all the data is in. This is a woman in her 80s who's much more likely to succumb to the disease, about 12% likelihood if you get COVID, uh, COVID-19, uh, and she's still refusing. I then asked, so did you get the uh, other shots? Have you had MERS, or did you get a polio shot? She said, no, I haven't. So here's somebody who has never had any of this typical vaccines and is still refusing to get vaccinated now. She said, look, my immune system's protected me all this time. That's what I'm going to go with. Not not a bad argument. Not, uh, For her? Hard, hard, hard to object to. For so her. So there you have it. Yeah. So that's where we are. Here's what's fascinating to me about the vaccination rate, however. The state now, helpfully, is reporting an important new piece of data that they weren't reporting even a week ago. They have the vaccination rate for the state of Arizona is now at 59.7% of people who've had at least one shot. But then they've now calculated the percentage of our population of people who are even eligible to get vaccinated. That is to say that they've taken out kids who cannot yet get vaccinated. And of our adult population, essentially, 70.3% have been vaccinated. When you throw in the likelihood of people who have gotten COVID not yet gotten vaccinated, we're probably approaching herd immunity if we haven't already gotten to it. And so the reality is, welcome to flu season, and we're just going to also call it the flu COVID season because the the endemic nature uh, for uh one of our listeners out there, the endemic nature of this uh, disease is such that it is ubiquitous. It's it's about us, and we're not going to get rid of it. There's not uh, there is no longer a debate about gee, we've got to stop the virus. You can't. It's endemic, and our society is now going to survive from it. And we'll see COVID uh, COVID surges just like we see flu surges. I wonder, Hugh. Thank you for that. I wonder if <laughs> I wonder if we're going to start seeing the economics of this be superordinated by the politics of this. That is to say, I wonder if the politics from the federal government is going to stop the economic benefits that hospitals are excited about in marking down COVID patients. The reason I ask this, the reason I suppose this, is because it's clearly outside of the CDC's interest. It is not in the CDC's interest to keep showing COVID deaths amongst the vaccinated, that is to say breakthrough deaths. If 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 they care if if they thought we should know this, they wouldn't have taken down the website with those numbers. And you're starting to see articles that are really rather amusing, which is of course more people with vaccines are going to get COVID because we are vaccinating more people. You're starting to see this argument, which reminds me... You saw it in Maine. They made that argument six weeks ago in their uh, lead newspaper. Yeah. It reminds me of nothing so much, quite frankly, as Bernie Sanders saying breadlines are a good thing. It's a little bit related to that. So I almost wonder if at a certain point those incentives to hospitals are going to dry up. Let's return to this on the other side and also give out the number 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Hugh Hallman is my guest, as he is every Tuesday in our third hour, quite uh, usu- uh, most usually with his son, Lewis, who's not with us today, but will be uh, next week. Um, Hugh, I was just making uh, this point that you are seeing articles now saying why, of course, there are more breakthrough deaths. The point is because there are more people vaccinated, but that is a departure from what we were told the vaccine was supposed to do. 
it, it does come to – it comes to many people as a surprise that you can be vaccinated and still get COVID. It comes to many people as a surprise that you can be vaccinated, get COVID, and be hospitalized, and even an extremist die. This has been true of uh, probably the last time the CDC had a number. It was, and they stopped counting three weeks ago. I think it was about fifteen thousand. I'm guessing it's probably. I, I mean, I shouldn't guess, but it's well north of that. Well north of fifteen thousand Americans. One would expect. One would expect, which is also why one would expect they started taking this down. And we're getting this argument that, of course, this is the case. Uh, And it will be more and more the case, and it will be more and more the case, as more and more people have been vaccinated and in that they are susceptible to to getting SARS-CoV-2 and thus COVID. Uh, You you are going to be seeing more of this. And people have – there are people who have no idea this is the case. When I talk to people about vaccines, which is not because I want to but because they want to (laughs) so many times – they have no idea of this any more than they know what I was talking about in my first segment. Honest to God, they are purely innocent of the notion that a vaccine won't keep you from dying or won't keep you from hospital as they are innocent of the fact that there were riots in this country last year. They literally know nothing else. Smart people. Yes, and smart people who have been misled by politicians and uh, folks who claim to be part of the news. Instead, they're part of the opinionation of our country. And so we have an electorate that is misled. And because the narratives that are spun fit their biases, uh, they are willing to believe it. And uh, it is pretty common now to understand that we have folks on both sides who will dispose of 95 percent of the facts that uh, that counter the narrative that they want to hang on to and hang on to 5 percent of the data that they can to uh, continue to believe what they want to believe. And so here we have an administration that early on tried to roll out a vaccine plan uh, saying that Donald Trump had done a bad job of it. Uh, First, they said that his vaccine could not be trusted. And, of course, the program Donald Trump set up was an incentivized program. He provided significant amounts of cash and rewards for companies to quickly develop a vaccine and then push the uh, uh, feds to approve them sooner than they might otherwise have done so. Once that happened and uh, Mr. Biden was able to win election, then it was his problem to solve. And now he had to adopt the vaccine. Well, Rather than uh, say what he said before the election, which he's he would never trust and his vice president said she would never trust a vaccine developed under Donald Trump's administration. They then had to live with the fact that they nearly destroyed the economy, wanted it all shut down during Donald Trump's reign. And then the moment it was Joe Biden's needed to have the economy recover. So needed to come up with a new narrative. And the new narrative was if everybody got vaccinated, we could get back to normal. If everybody got vaccinated, we'd get back to normal over and over and over again with their great desire to downplay any questions that thinking people would have. Those folks who have critical thinking skills raise questions, and uh, especially when they come from the conservative side, are absolutely flattened by the corporate media and the Biden administration cohort who want to win the day on their narrative. And their narrative is flat false. Uh, Joe Biden repeated that 
getting vaccinated would protect you from getting the disease, would protect you from hospitalization. And death. And death. He said it on CNN. On death. And death. And ultimately, that was false. It was more important to continue to the narrative that everybody should get vaccinated so he could try to turn the economy back on. Now they're trying to hide the fact that we have breakthrough cases. And many, many people are ignorant of the fact that vaccinations aren't perfect. But we've talked about that from the beginning, that the narrative they were spinning, get vaccinated or you're bad American, you're un-American, was false, that critical, critically skilled people, thinking people, should make the decision based on what's in their best interests. Now then, we start with a program that we must now vaccinate children. For whose benefit? It's very clear from the data. The benefit of the vaccination of children is not for the children's benefit. It's for the benefit of the adults who surround them. Well, that's a call for parents to make. That's a call for grandparents to make. But it certainly is not a call for teachers unions to make for other people's children. Uh, If you're worried about teaching in a classroom with children who are unvaccinated, then let's set up the arrangement so you can teach by wire. But you don't get to mandate vaccines uh, for people who are at greater risk for being vaccinated than they are from the disease. I think, Seth, you've done the best math on this, that of the 28 million children aged 5 to 11, uh, 94 have succumbed in the entire pandemic to the disease. Uh, That is uh, 3.36 ten thousandths of a percent. And if you take all uh, children uh, to the age under 18, that's 73 million of them, only 576 have succumbed to the disease. Over two years. Over two years. Over two years. In the entire pandemic. Yeah. yeah. And so that's 7.89 ten thousandths of a percent. Over two years. You can't even, it's damn near unmeasurable. And we know that the flu is much more dangerous. Pneumonia is much more dangerous to this group of people. Drowning is much more dangerous. Correct. Driving in a car is much more dangerous. For these people. And yet uh, we want them to get vaccinated, not for their protection, but for protection of other people. That's a very unusual policy choice for us to be making, that people have to sacrifice for someone else's benefit. The only time we've ever applied that philosophy is in taxation. Mm-hmm. Interesting point that you have there. And, 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 and it's an interesting point when you additionally think about what the teachers' union's concern is here. Because if it's vaccinate the children to prevent children from passing it to teachers, if your teacher is vaccinated, if the teacher is vaccinated, there's nothing that you can do to the child with the vaccine that would prevent transmission from the child of COVID-19 to some other adult. That's correct. It's based on a totally faulty presumption, which exists only really in the medical degree of Charles Barkley, who said famously, and with five million viewers when I saw it, it's probably up to 10, you don't do the vaccine for yourself, you do it for someone else. It's exactly upside down 180 degrees from what the science says. That's correct. Okay. Uh, There's one other thing Joe Biden said. And it's not apropos to your point, but I just can't resist using it. May I? It was in his final debate with Donald Trump. And he said, Bill, do you have this from yesterday? It was our sound clip. Just listen to it. 220,000 Americans dead. If you hear nothing else I say tonight, hear this. Anyone who's responsible for not taking control, in fact, not saying I take no responsibility initially, Anyone who's responsible for that many deaths should not remain as president of the United States of America. Got it. 220 deaths mean you should not remain president. 220,000 deaths means you should not remain president of the United States. Under Joe Biden's watch, the number's over 300,000 with a vaccine and with a year of learning about COVID. Tell me why he should be the president of the United States by his own standard. 
Well, let's just admit he's a liar and a fraud. That's the reason. I'm Seth Eastview. We'll be right back. What what game show was it? I know it's Herb Alpert. Was was that Dating Game? I'm thinking Dating Game. I think it was Dating Game. Yes, it was thinking Dating Game. Dating. Yep, that was the the cue that uh, they were going to decide. Yeah. Yes. And who was the who was who was who was, who was that? Bob Wink Eubanks. Martindale. Who? Bob Eubanks wasn't it? Was it Bob Eubanks? I, I'll accept that. It's I, an acceptable I, I, answer. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> they all didn't they all kind of look alike? Yes. There Black was that seventies. Yeah, there was the seventies game show host look. Wardrobe provided by Botany 500 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And Vitalis 44. Hugh Hallman, you need none of that. You are, uh, you are a splendor in yourself. Tell me where you wanted to take us next. Well, we were talking about COVID and, and ended about the fact that we've got uh, Joe Biden running for president and beating uh, Donald Trump about the head and shoulders over the fact that there were 220,000 deaths uh, caused by COVID-19 uh, in the run-up to the election. And the left, uh, Mr. Biden leaves out, the left worked diligently to shut down the entire economy, saying you have to uh, uh, stop this disease. And the only way to do that is to destroy the economy, shoving more than a billion people back into extreme poverty around the world, uh, causing hundreds of uh, thousands of children to die. Uh, And yet he was uh, talking about 220,000 Americans who died from COVID. As you noted just before the break, more than 300,000 more people have died under Joe Biden's watch, and yet he has not resigned the presidency. So his uh, uh, rhetorical talents during the debate were rewarded, and nobody has held him accountable for the fact that he ran a fraudulent campaign. Let's just say it that way. Well, related to COVID is now we have uh, Joe Biden as president, and Joe Biden Uh, throws out all of Donald Trump's policy choices, except one that I happen to disagree with vehemently, and that was that we needed to withdraw from Afghanistan. Uh, It is, in my view, the wrong decision to make after we'd spent uh, uh, almost 10,000 American lives, both contractors and uh, armed forces, in defending the place and trying to create a stable society. And it was foolhardy for anybody to think that we would ever create a stable, quote, democracy in my lifetime, yours too, uh, Seth, uh, because that was not a place that would easily succumb to democracy in an open society. It is a, a mountainous region where it's very difficult to create broad-based uh, fabric of, of an open society. But with that said, what it did do for us was create a society in which many young women and women generally uh, found rights, got to be educated, and the society generally was moving in good, positive directions from a Western standard perspective. Uh, Were people's hands being cut off if they were thieves? No. It sucked less. It it sucked less. Uh, Were uh, folks of sexual orientations different from the the viewed norm under uh, Islamic extremism uh, accepted? Yes, they were. Now they're being murdered. Uh, And that's the contrast we now have. Well, so Joe Biden insists that he had to pull out, notwithstanding that uh, it was a Donald Trump initiative. It's the only initiative he could he could uh, follow, just like uh, it was apparently the only time searched high and low to find one thing. Yeah, well, it was just like Barack Obama was not in charge of anything except the specific pulling the trigger to kill uh, Hussein uh, uh, Osama bin Laden. Laden. Uh, And so, uh, you know, the only thing he could take credit or blame for was that one act. Well, Joe Biden apparently could not undo uh, Donald Trump's decision that we needed to eventually pull out of Afghanistan, uh, pressured from even the centrists of our party. 
uh, my view was it was flypaper, that we then had the fight kept in Afghanistan, the crazies kept in Afghanistan, the focus by those crazies fighting in Afghanistan, and now they're free to do what they'd like. So here's the news report on that. Here's the breaking news. We have the U.S. federal government now supplying resources to Central Asian countries, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, many others, to protect their borders. Why? Because they now predict that 97% of Afghanis will be thrust back into extreme poverty, causing a massive humanitarian crisis with, uh, with people seeking refuge in other countries. And among those refugees will be terrorists, that those countries now are looking to the U.S. for help to secure their borders from terrorists and refugees, while the U.S. cannot currently, apparently, secure its own southern border, and instead people believe they should be allowed to protest along the southern border for not being allowed into the United States by right. It's nuts. We've entered the looking glass. The whole show is worth that five-minute update. I honestly don't know that anyone will report on this anywhere. Oh, I'm confident. Uh, has anybody heard and, about and the $50 million the most million dollars trenchant point spent? I've heard. Yeah about the incongruity. It truly instantiates the notion that we have become the kind of country we used to send aid to because we are sending aid to those countries to do that, which we won't aid ourselves on. I'm Seth. He's Hugh. We'll be right back. Bill Scott, my back. He has everyone's back on this show. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Did you do some kind of dance, Hugh Hallman, on this day thirty two years ago? There was cause for dancing. There was cause for celebration. There was cause for cherivery. Cherivery, indeed. I think I cherivered. You may have cherivered. Uh, it it is the thirty second anniversary of the fall of the Berlin Wall, right. and. It it brings back important memories for me because I had worked for Barry Goldwater, who raised these kinds of issues in the 60s. I'd worked for Ronald Reagan, who was raising these issues in the 50s, spoke eloquently at the convention in 64 on behalf of Barry Goldwater, and 16 years later rose to become the president of the United States on these themes. This is when the Republican Party understood international relations and that our engagement in international relations was important, that liberty and freedom was a gift to us that we are obligated to at least secure for ourselves through retaining important international relationships and to the extent we can continue to move the ball forward and provide the opportunity for liberty for others, it will also help protect our, uh, our, our borders. Uh, by by spreading this message and securing it around the world, we are much more likely to sustain it ourselves. Except, as Abraham Lincoln warned us, that if we are going to die, we are going to die by suicide. Mm. So notwithstanding that we helped aid the destruction of the Soviet Union, as Ronald Reagan talked about bringing liberty to the millions of people in the Russian uh, prison uh, that ultimately occurred, uh, we have, in the following 32 years, through failure to teach our own children the lessons learned, 
are seeing our own commitment to that liberty that we brought to East Germans, that we brought uh, as the as the Berlin Wall fell and then ultimately the Iron Curtain. The only one left is Russia itself, and it is desperately trying to recapture uh, its uh, days gone by of uh, bringing uh, countries back into its sphere of influence. As you know, I go to uh, Kazakhstan regularly. Kazakhstan was the last country out the Soviet door on December 16th, 1991. It declared independence. It did so carefully because it was so dependent on Russia, and Russia had so carefully weaved the net around Kazakhstan, making it completely dependent on finished oil products. So gasoline and, and, and uh, natural gas and other things came back out of Russia, even though they were originally uh, mined out of, uh, out of Kazakhstan. And so it took 30 years. They celebrate their 30th anniversary this year. Uh, of independence from the Soviet Union. And it has been a a work of triangulation that uh, is a nod to Richard Nixon. The the founders of that country have worked to keep China and Russia at bay. And in the 32nd anniversary of the fall of the Berlin Wall that gave rise to the collapse of the Soviet Union, we here today now should continue to celebrate that victory. And yet one doesn't see it. It's a shame because... It is in celebrating these victories that we can pass on to our children the messages and the lessons of those victories. Why they were important, why victory was necessary, what would have been happening in the absence of such. Spending hundreds of million, hundreds of billions of dollars in defending ourselves against a Soviet Union that was bent on destroying the United States. And uh, that is not some paranoid fantasy. That is the reality that we had people working on a daily basis looking for the holes in the armor, uh, the niches in the wall to uh, destroy this this nation. And we live under a philosophy that I will defend to the death your right to disagree with me, even if it includes your view that this society should be destroyed. We literally live under a a banner that allows people to argue that this society should be destroyed. And now we have some of them in Congress. We went from the the crazy person uh, in Congress to now one to six to six who would advocate for the destruction of this society. And those who say, oh, no, that's not what they say. They're not listening carefully enough because the very philosophy they espouse is the expansion of the government so that individuals lose their opportunity to make choices for themselves and their own lives. Let me try it this way. If you don't think they mean it, Bernie Sanders goes to Russia and praises what he says. In fact, goes so far as to say bread bread lines are a good thing. Bernie Sanders is from what state? The state of... Insanity? Okay, but what state of the 50? Vermont. Of course. Where did Alexander Solzhenitsyn live when he fled the Soviet Union? For a while, Vermont, but then also California. Bernie Sanders never once traveled to see Alexander Solzhenitsyn because that was too inconvenient, as he said. He had no problem honeymooning in the Soviet Union. I think that tells you how serious he was. 
I think that's correct. That uh, it's not Leo Strauss. Put Leo Strauss is the professor of my professors. Uh, Leo Strauss was Harry Jaffa's professor, Alan Bloom's professor. The all places of our you went, you, yep. yeah, Uni- University of Chicago and Claremont is. I ran Straussians for Reagan Bush. There you go. Did you all three of them? <laughs> four was it? Four <laughs> Straussians for Reagan Bush. I ran Straussians for Bush, yes. different Bush, <laughs> uh, and we got nailed for. It. In any event, it was a joke. Yeah. So was so was fine. Uh, he put it this way about the crisis of the West in describing in those days uh, the, the, the relativism grasping the academy. He said it would not be the first time that, an, that a nation defeated on the battlefield – think Soviet Union. It would not be the first time that a nation defeated on the battlefield and as it were annihilated as a political being, USSR, deprived its conqueror of the most sublime fruit of victory by imposing on him the yoke of its own thought. Think about that. The Soviet Union deprived us, deprived us in our victory, or we should say, I should say we allowed the Soviet Union to deprive us of the most sublime fruit of victory. We didn't impose our views on them. Communism got stronger in America. That's correct, and we see it in Congress, uh, and we'll – after the hour, uh, after the, this break, I'd like to finish off with yeah. that because you mentioned Alexander Solzhenitsyn, yeah. who ultimately returned to Russia. Right. He actually lost credence there with the independence-minded folks, the freedom fighters, including in Kazakhstan, because he returned to advocate for Russia's supremacy. Right. Uh, not a Soviet Russian supremacy, but he was a bit of an apologist for his homeland Russia. Mm-hmm. And in trying to articulate the difference between a Soviet policy and a Russian policy, he was uh, slathered with the Soviet brush Mm -hmm. and so ended up losing both the support of folks who had been in the Soviet Union as Soviets and people who had been independent. Perfect. In concluding thoughts here, how did we get to a point where indeed – we were unable to impose um, our thought on the conquered Soviet Union and instead that the Soviet Union was able to impose more of its thought in its defeat on the rest of the world, including the United States of America, where Marxism became more popular after the Soviet Union collapsed than before. Took me back to a piece you gave me, Hugh, by P.J. O'Rourke describing the fall of the Berlin Wall in real time in 1989. He wrote, two American teenagers, Nell Finnis and Danielle Shire from Berlin's English language JFK High School, were attempting to rip the top off one section of the wall with their bare hands. The wall is capped with six-foot-long, 200-pound half-pipes cast into ferro-concrete. They need to be lifted nearly a foot in the air before the edges clear the central the cement slab and then can be heaved onto the ground. These two students straddled the wall in postures that would bring dollar signs to the eyes of any hernia surgeon and lifted. When that didn't work, two more JFK students got up on the wall and lifted the two students and the half pipe. Go for it. Go for it, they yelled at each other. It was an American rather than a scientific or methodological approach. The half pipe landed with a great thump. The political message was clear to all the JFK students. Yeah, shouted one. Let's sell it. The East German border guards didn't interfere, he continues. Instead, they came to the opening in the wall and made V for victory signs and posed for photographs. One of them even stuck his hand through 
and asked would somebody please give him a piece of the concrete to keep as a souvenir. The hand of that border guard, that disembodied palm-up begging hand, I looked at that and I began to cry. I really didn't understand before that moment. I didn't realize until just then that we won. The free world won the Cold War. The fight against life-hating, soul-denying, slavish communism, which has shaped the world's politics the whole wretched century, was over. The tears of victory round down my face. All the people who had been sent to gulags, who'd been crushed in the streets of Budapest, Prague, and Warsaw, the soldiers who died in Korea, and my friends and classmates who had been killed in Vietnam, it meant something now. All the treasure that we in America had poured into guns, planes, Star Wars, and all the terrifying A-bombs we had to build and keep, it wasn't for nothing. And I didn't get it till just then, when I saw the border guard's hand. And I think there are a lot of people who haven't gotten it. Our own President Bush, this would be H.W., seems to regard the events in Eastern Europe as some kind of odd dance craze or something. When I got back to the U.S., I was looking through the magazines and newspapers, and it seemed that all I saw were editorial writers pulling long faces about whither a united Germany and whence America's adjustments to the new realities in Europe. Is that the kind of noise people were making in Times Square on VE Day? No, it was not. We didn't take the victory seriously here in America like we did in World War II. And thus, thus, now we have to deal with that long twilight struggle all over again in Lincoln's terminology, as you put it, Hugh, because it's here now. It's within us now. And the degree to which we accept it or fight it will be the degree to which we commit suicide or not. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. I'm Seth Liebson. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 